Welcome to the Product Design Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Coolen, founder of UX Cabin, where we create world-class web and mobile apps. I'm excited to bring you a behind-the-scenes look into the lives of some of the most interesting and talented people in product design. We'll get strategic advice on how they got to where they are today and things they wish they would have known earlier in their career. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Product Design Podcast. Today, we have Denise Francis with us. She is a product designer from the Atlanta area. She works as a product designer in a large CRM company. Denise, thank you so much for being with us today. Yes, I am so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you give us a little bit of background of of who you are, where you're from, and, and what you like to do? Yeah. So like you said, I am in the Atlanta area. I have pretty much been a designer and an artist for most of my life. These days I'm enjoying redecorating my house. I'm on a quest to have it look like a hip boho hotel in the middle of San Francisco. So I'm redoing every single room, which is kind of fun. I enjoy cooking and painting and really just anything that allows me to create something or use my imagination. Awesome. That's fantastic. I know that everyone's path into product design and UX takes a windy, curvy road. How did you first start to get into design and art? And how did that eventually lead to UX and product design? It's so funny because I feel like I tell the story over and over and over again, because it's such a huge part of my life. But as a kid, I always knew that I wanted to be a fine artist, right? So when people asked, like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I just want to paint. I, that's what I want to do. And in high school, my guidance counselor was like, no, you will be poor and broke and <laughs> you can't just be a fine artist. So when it got close to the end of high school, she was like, okay, why don't we try architecture? So... I jumped in and went to my college at the time for architecture camp. And that was my first step into the world of design. We had this, I believe it was like two or three week architecture camp. And it was so much fun. We were doing things like building chairs out of cardboard and building small models. It gave this feeling of art. Little did I know later on that that's not how the real world of architecture looks. Right. <laughs> I stuck with it and moved through pursuing a career in architecture, got my bachelor's, got my master's in architecture, completed wow. my thesis, did a couple of internships, and architecture is actually what brought me to Atlanta. So originally, I'm from Florida. I moved to Atlanta for my first role as an architect. And what's interesting is, as you move into more of the professional world, you realize that this isn't as creative as I thought it would be. I was doing a lot of drawings for bathroom details and parking garage and like the curb on the side of the road. And I was just like, okay, I guess I can do this. I mean, I'm not the type of person that would quit. And so for me, I hate to say luckily, but at the time it really was luckily I I got laid off twice and I took that as a sign. Okay, maybe you should be doing something else. And what's interesting is at the time 
during my lunch breaks, I would walk over to the mall that was across the street and I would teach myself how to code somewhat. (laughs) I I was like, okay, what else can I do as my side hustle? I'm going to sell jewelry. Okay. If I'm going to do that, I need a website. So let's learn how to build one. And of course, I didn't know any heavy coding. What year was this? I I think this was around 2008. Apple had something out called iWeb. iWeb. And I would say it's very similar to what Squarespace is now, which still in my heart, I feel like they should bring iWeb back. Just why not compete with Squarespace? That would be really cool. But I was using iWeb and it was minimal HTML, basically mostly drag and drop. And I kind of got the hang of like putting together a layout of a website. Now the website was horrible, but (laughs) it kind of just was that first step into, oh, you can design things and and you're more of a graphic person than a building person. You don't need to be doing things for buildings. And I was always concerned that I was going to do the wrong thing and something was going to happen disastrous to someone entering a building that I had worked on. So design was more of my speed. So that was kind of like the beginning of, yeah. I guess, the digital design side of things. And then I went back to school for graphic design and moved into UX from there. Very cool. So I think, I guess my question in architecture, whenever you're going through school, I did an accounting class. And whenever you do exercises for anything, it's like, look at this balance sheet from Coca-Cola and you're doing all of these big level things. And you're like, oh, this must be what accounting is. When in reality, it's more like just keeping the books for a small business. Or and I'm wondering if there's like the corollary where it's in architecture, your school, you're always building the next building of Dubai. But then when you get into the real world, it's like making like a curb or a parking garage. And it's a little bit bait and switch from what you expected it might be. Yeah, I, I 100% think so. I don't know what it's like today. But back then, I mean, we were doing pen and ink drawings to learn plan section elevation, which is, in my world, just pen and ink drawings. So it felt very creative. We would design things like, you're creating a retreat for an artist that needs to be in the woods for silence to reconnect to his imagination. I would get into like the real world in the office and literally draw bathroom tiles all day. (laughs) So there was definitely a difference. Even my thesis project was more imaginative and creative than anything that I would have been doing in the real world. Wow. So you went back to school for graphic design. Tell me about how you got your start in graphic design in the real world of getting a job or freelancing. Yes. So I want to say in my second quarter of school, graphic design, going for my MFA, which is like wild to me at the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing a second master's. So in my second quarter, there's a longer backstory to this, but I got a message from singer, songwriter, Grammy Award winner, India Ari. And she reached out to me like, I have this project that I'd like to work on. Are you down? And now mind you, I'm in my second quarter. She wants a website. And I tell her, I'm like, I don't even know if I know how to do this yet. We haven't even learned this part yet. And luckily she was like, we'll figure it out together. And from there, 
I had the opportunity to work with her for over 10 years. So that was my first step into the world of graphic design. And it ended up being the music industry, which is really cool. Now, how did you two get connected? So it's a a long backstory. That's a part of my jewelry making days where I just handed a piece of jewelry to a security guard to see if he could get it to her at a show. And everything kind of unfolded from there. And to this day, we're still really, really, really close friends. So I value that whole story of just like, oh, this random act of let's try to see if we can make something for someone who's doing really big things. And it kind of snowballing into this world of, will you help me design a whole bunch of stuff for a lot of years? So it was really cool. That's incredible. What a a crazy uh, chain of events. So (laughs) Yeah. So you started doing graphic design for her, right? How did that go? So it ended up being a little bit more than just graphic design. That's how okay. it kind of started. She was like, I want to do a contest. And the people that win the contest will get to come to a private show for me. But I need a website for them to try to win. And so that was the first project. It was staying up all night figuring out domain names and how to get this website going. The project went so well that I want to say two weeks after she asked me to come on the road with her. And while I was on the road, I switched some of my classes over to online classes because mind you, I'm still in school and we figured it out from there. So it turned into more than just websites like by the end of it, I was designing the super fan experience, the VIP experience. So more of what things look like, what images you saw, but also how do you walk through the venue? What does the stepper repeat look like? How do we keep it safe for her? How do you actually pull off a meet and greet for a celebrity at that level safely and beautifully? And so it was definitely an adventure and I got to see a lot of the world. And I I really do think that part of life contributed to my eye for design and really also my soft skills. Wow. That that's great. So you were basically doing creative director level stuff, event design and graphic design and operations and everything in between. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, photo shoots, video shoots, touring, even just simple things like social media posts, stuff like that. I I would say in the tour world, we all really acted like a family. So everyone was hands-on. So even if you didn't really know 100% how to do something, we were always going to figure it out and make it work. So I I do feel like I was able to gain some skills that I probably wouldn't have gained just by jumping into an entry-level position at a corporation somewhere. Absolutely. So how did your experience and skill set there then lead you into product design? So during this time, I'm in school getting my second master's. Whenever we're not on the road, I am doing little gigs as adjunct professor at colleges around Atlanta, teaching graphic design and drawing and all of that. But when it got closer to the end of my time in design school, the world was kind of changing more into UX to the point where I all of my classes at the end were independent studies because my curriculum kind of no longer existed. Wow. And so I'm like at a crossroads of, okay, 
print is kind of dying down. UX is the new hot thing. However, the school I'm at hasn't quite caught up yet. So I'm able to have some micro lessons in it, but it's not my major or anything like that. And so I found myself in the space of like, okay, what am I going to do next? Because graphic design firms and agencies aren't really hiring anymore. More of the designers are finding roles as UX designers. So I had to learn what that was. And ultimately, after a year of just contemplating what I was going to do, I went to a user experience boot camp here in Atlanta. We were the first cohort. And that was like my beginning into user experience design. Wow. So when you got into UX, were you like, oh, this is everything I've ever been wanting to do? Or did it feel like a foreign thing that you had to go across a deep chasm of, I was just always into arts and illustrations and graphics, and now I have to do something totally different. How was your experience with that? So I'll be 100% honest in the beginning. So right when I started the boot camp, I didn't really believe in it. I got into the cohort and I was like, okay, if this doesn't work out, we have five weeks to get prorated some of our money back. I didn't really believe in what it was and like what I was going to be learning. And it kind of blindsided me in this really beautiful way where it was like, I came up with this idea of, okay, you went to school, you got the beauty part and the function part. Now, what about the strategy part? How do we know that what we've designed is actually working? And so the thing that made me fall in love with it, this idea of, I guess, the human experience that kind of ties into what life was like on the road. I got to interact with people every day. I got to see how like world music touches people and changes their lives. And it wasn't just about like an artist making music. It was about this package of, I guess, a mission and how it impacts humans. And so I feel like I was able to translate that into design for myself. It was like, okay, I get to make something beautiful and figure out how it actually impacts humans, how it makes their lives better, how it brings down their daily cognitive load. Those things I feel like were special to me. And so I did end up falling in love with it by week five. (laughs) That's awesome. I think I have kind of a similar story in that I got into it by like being a front end developer and UX was just kind of like up and coming and some people at the agency were talking about it. And I kind of felt initially like, listen, if someone can't figure out how to use a website, then that's on them and they're just dumb. It was kind of like a badge of honor to be able to figure out websites or how to use things almost like a challenge. It was just a different time. You look to someone who's good at tech or good at websites and printers were hard to figure out. And so were websites. So you just looked for someone who had the knack to figure things out. And then it was like, wait a second. We can actually make people's lives better by making it easier and make businesses more money by making it more streamlined. And that was kind of when the philosophy of building websites kind of changed and the light bulb went on for me. That's exactly it. That was the moment that I realized I was going to get to use my imagination. And I think that that is always the goal for me. Using my imagination is one of the most important things. If if I can't use my imagination and figure out a way to be innovative, I'm 
not going to be happy for very long. That's right. kind of the scale of what design and art looks like for me. So it was like, okay, we are doing this technical thing. We're doing this strategy thing, but it really is imaginative in how we come yep. up with solutions. And that's the part that I really, really love. Yeah, that's incredible. So I know a lot of people do boot camps and a lot of people have success and other people, you know, don't necessarily have success. How was it finding a job after a boot camp? And did you feel adequately prepared from your experience in your boot camp? So I really do feel like the chain of events that I've experienced over my life has been kind of lucky. Some people were coming from all different backgrounds. We had people that used to style hair or they were a waitress or maybe they were still a student or maybe they're a stay-at-home mom that decided that they wanted to be in tech now. And for me, I've always had that design background. So I do feel like that gave me a little bit of a leg up in jumping right into a job. So I was the first one in my cohort to land a position. So we do this whole like reverse job fair thing where companies come out and someone asked me to come in that next Monday morning on the night of the meet and hire. So I do feel like I had a leg up in that sense because I already had this not only design background, but super formal foundational design background because I went to Savannah College of Art and Design. So kind of a big deal. School. Yeah. Yeah, kind of leads you into a really good space there. So, Very cool. What was your first job like in the UX field? So the very first one was actually a contracted role. And it was for a startup. And that, I believe, was when I realized, okay, I do not want to work at a startup because these people do not know what they're doing. Like... They didn't understand communicating through Slack and just things that were becoming more of a UX standard way of doing things like using Sketch and the tools and how to communicate and doing stand-ups and stuff like that. They didn't understand anything. It was just like, we have money and we can do a startup, so let's do it. And I'm not sure how long they lasted, but I definitely didn't last long there. I ended up getting a role working at the Weather Channel, actually, which was really cool. At the time, there were no other UX designers there. Everyone was still considered to be graphic designers. And so I was the first one that was brought in as a UX designer, which was pretty cool. I remember having a meeting where they were like, okay, so what are the methodologies of UX? What do we need to know? And I'm just like, wow, I am really the only one here. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it was a little tough in that way, but... It was crazy, but soon thereafter, everyone that was considered a graphic designer followed suit and we all became product designers. Wow. That's crazy. Tell me a little bit about what it is like working at the Weather Channel. It was really fun. I had a lot of friends. The The actual problem of weather is actually way cooler than it sounds. Initially, I was like, okay, we're going to be nerding out. All right, get your brain ready to be a nerd. I realized that weather is more universal than even music is. Everyone is experiencing what's happening outside. You can always have a conversation about weather, whether you are living in the same space as someone or 
just hearing stories about weather. And I think beyond having this connection of this universal thing, we had the opportunity to help people plan their day and to keep them safe. And that, again, rolls back into that human connection of keeping people truly at the heart of your designs and just having something to care about, which was really nice. I enjoyed all of the products that I worked on. Most of them were super innovative and I had a really good time there. That's fascinating. I know personally for me, my favorite feature on my Apple Watch is to be able to look down and just see the weather on my watch. Just always want to know, what's it doing? Is it going to rain? Is it warm? Do I need a sweater? And it's so ubiquitous that everyone always wants to know what the weather is. And if you don't have anything to talk about with anyone, you talk about the weather. Absolutely. We found ways to branch off into more innovative ways of giving people the weather. And that's the part that I really love. Like, how do you use AI and how do you use smart devices to tell people what it's going to be like today? Because weather affects our mood. It affects productivity. If we can do things outside, how long it'll take us to arrive somewhere because of traffic, things like that. And so it it was really cool to start looking at a bunch of different smart devices and how we could really help close the gap of you being productive every day and just feeling good at the end of the day. Nice. So then what happened after the Weather Channel? So after the Weather Channel, that's when I moved right into customer relationship management. And again, just even within the title of that, we're, we're putting the customer first. And so I can work on anything, but I think it's really cool when you get to work on something that, or work at a company that really does think about the customer and really does believe in UX. And so that is where I am now. And although I still moonlight and do a little bit of graphic design in the evenings for the music industry, because India is obviously still my friend, I get to work at this cool company that not only keeps customers first, but also keeps employees first. They treat us really good. That's awesome. So looking back, what have been the highs and the lows of your career journey? So it's definitely been a roller coaster ride. There were definitely lows, but when I look back to the lows, those are the things that propelled me into the highs. And I have this sort of like philosophy of there's always going to be peaks and valleys. And anytime you feel yourself in a low position, All that means is that something really, really, really awesome is right around the corner. You just have to get through the lows. I've learned how to deal with difficult people. I have learned how to try to catch up. So I've mentioned that I've been laid off, switch careers, all of that. And I think within that process, people can forget how hard it is not only to switch careers and come into this new world of corporate as mid-level, but to switch over from something like traveling the world in the music industry and then being at an office every day for corporate. I think people forget that you need to learn all the acronyms to understand what everyone's talking about and understand when everyone's speaking so quickly about a thing that you haven't been immersed in daily for years and years and years of your life, even down to kind of trying to understand what your compensation should be 
based on switching careers and, and moving in and having people who are so seasoned at what they do that they get irritated and aggravated with helping you learn when they are the seasoned ones. Joining a team of people that aren't used to working with someone who has your background, but also who looks like you. I think navigating all of those things, especially as a career changer, is really hard. And people forget (laughs) that there should be almost a different type of onboarding for that, you know? Yeah. So it it sounds like the transition from (laughs) traveling the world and doing events and things like that to the corporate world was a, a bit of a transition to say the least. Yeah. Even in the way that I would dress every day, like I would literally wake up and put on a sequence glitter skirt with knee high glitter boots and a hot pink shirt and a headband and rings and necklaces and all of that. And then moving into this world of we are really cool designers and we wear t-shirts and jeans every day. And just like, <laughs> oh, how loud can I be with my style? But I'm pretty sure that I can because a lot of companies are opening up to that. But just the idea of how I would be viewed on how I wore my hair that day or just simple things like that. Like, what kind of shoes do I have on? Do I have really long nails right now? Those micro things also played a part in this transition into this world of a bit more stability in corporate. So you feel like, okay, I want to join corporate. I need some stability in my life. It's, It's time to be a big girl, grow up and build some things for myself. But then also kind of losing a little bit of that freedom of, moving around outside in the world every day and what I would eat on a daily basis and how much time I was sitting in a chair, what I wore on my body, like all of those things mattered. On top of that, you're trying to learn acronyms and people's names, VPs, who this person is, why they are so important, what this means, style guides, decks, all of that stuff. So it was different. I feel like always within a corporate environment, especially like the bigger organizations, there's usually a weird hierarchy that you have to figure out. Is this person, have they just been here for a while and people don't really pay attention to them, but they're just here? Or does this person have a lot of sway and you really have to make sure to be careful around them and like watch what you say and they can make your life really good or really bad. And there's all of these invisible politics and office things that you have to navigate and figure out and also do your job too. Yeah, all of that definitely exists. But I think that there is a slight bit of an advantage, not really knowing all of that, because it allows you to really be yourself and not hold this fear of this person sits at this level. So I need to speak to them at this in this way, or I need to hold myself in a very specific regard when I'm around them. It allows you to look at executives as just human beings, which they are, which has kind of helped me adopt this whole idea of when you are looking to senior leadership or an executive or someone who's a sponsor or a mentor, it should be a two-way street in learning because you have the new perspective. They have this seasoned mind. And so if it can't be that, it's probably not going to work out. And so, yeah, there's a little hidden gem there where you can just kind of be yourself and they see you in this way of 
just being a normal person who's not afraid to talk to them, you know? Yeah, that's really good advice. And I think even in corporate culture, corporate is starting to understand the value of the individual expression and experiences over just everyone kind of looking and doing the same thing. So that's at least improvement from what it was probably a decade ago or so. Yeah. And I I love that it's transforming into that because a lot of career changers, a lot of people who are in their thirties and forties that are entering corporate at entry level or mid-level positions kind of need that space to be able to be themselves so that they can learn really how to be really good at what they do, especially in the corporate space. So I would love to see more companies, more corporations opening that space for them. And really, I think there should be some sort of training that kind of helps fill that gap because a lot of those career changers are underrepresented people also. And that's another layer of I'm unlike a lot of the people here. I'm navigating, even as myself, I'm navigating what it's like to be a Black woman on top of all of these other things. So I think that's something that should be considered. It seems like companies are kind of leaning in that direction, but I would love to see what it looks like fully developed. If you were to put together a little training program onboarding someone new to the corporate world, what are some of the things that you would want to be included or would have helped you as you started out in corporate? Yeah. So I feel like now I sort of have tried to sprinkle those things into my daily tasks at work. If there is an opportunity to create clarity, I always consider the new hire as like one of my stakeholders, period. So if I'm creating a deck, instead of using tons of acronyms that this future new hire might have to look at as like a resource to learn, I'm going to type it out or maybe creating documents that kind of give guidance on what our design process looks like, or these are the people who you can reach out to for this or that. Or if I'm handing off a product that I've been working on to someone else who will be taking over, just trying to always have that next step of clarity to make it a little bit easier because you never know who's going to take it on. You never know who's going to step into this new process that they're not used to and just need that little bit of help or guidance in understanding what the micro things are. So I would love to see some sort of program that actually looks like that, but I definitely try to sprinkle it into my daily tasks now. Yeah. I think from just from a teammate perspective, that makes you a really good teammate, but it also, I think probably helps your company a lot too, because they don't have to spend a lot of extra time explaining things or onboarding someone to a new project, if you're already doing a bit of the work to get them to that point. One thing that we're trying to do in our design system is put enough documentation or even videos around how we built a component so that someone brand new can come in and get up to speed on how they can change it or how they can modify it. And it's a lot more helpful than just throwing someone a design file and it's kind of like expecting someone to ride a bike without ever having any training wheels, but it's going to hurt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think in doing that, 
it kind of encourages my colleagues also, like my design team, to want to also do the same thing. And by the way, I have a really awesome design team right now. Everyone really cares about each other, cares about others. And so I think together we are kind of building those things. So component libraries within Figma, things like that, that just make it super easy to get started on something because you never know what that first task is going to be for someone new. And for me, it was, our company is so big that for me, it was like, okay, you're going to work on this integration. However, there are no design files. So you'll have to work off of screen captures just to get the point across, just to get those wireframes out and not being able to move things around. Like you usually would because we work so fast. Any way that I could help someone that has to jump into something like that, I think is super important. So if the component libraries are built, if the documentation is there, even if they have to work on screen captures, it really wouldn't be a big deal to build it from scratch because there's the pieces of the puzzle that already exist. So you said something really interesting about you doing these things and kind of makes other people want to do these things. And I think also the opposite is true. We were talking at one of our company meetings the other week about how there was a study that if you put a car in a parking lot and you break the window, by the end of the week, the whole car is basically like dismantled and destroyed because people see it's broken down and it's not cared for. And so people can just abuse it basically, which is not true. If you just put a normal car in the parking lot, people are like, oh, it's just a normal car. Why would I destroy it? And I think there's something too in a team environment. If someone stands out as taking really good notes or documentation or going the extra mile to help someone understand the context a little better, it's like, oh, this, this was helpful. We should all be doing this. And it kind of can really just build up your, your team in a really awesome way. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely want to give my team a bit of credit because I feel like everyone has this deep down passion for doing that. I would say mine leans more towards the new hire, but everyone on our, our team is passionate about systems because I think not only will it help others, but it's going to make our day easier, right? And how we work with each other. If we're working on a suite of products together, we need to be on the same page. There needs to be consistency. There needs to be understanding of what's happening. And so I really admire my design team now in the way that they care about thinking of what's the next thing that we can do to make it easier for us all. And not only that, but how do we experiment to find the right way of doing the new system? And so that is one thing that I will stand on the top of my house and applaud my teammates because I think we do a really good job of doing that. That's cool. That's that's another reason why I think it's really necessary to have people from different backgrounds on your team, because someone who's been in corporate since college, they might not have the same empathy for someone new coming on the team and not because they're a bad person or because they're trying to be malicious. It's just like, they don't know. They've been just so saturated in this. They don't remember what it was like to learn all these things anew. So I think that's a really, really cool angle and something to be mindful of as teams are building and people are coming on. It shouldn't just be about who has the most years of experience, but who can bring these really intangible things that are going to help build the team in ways that you never thought of. Yeah. And not only that, but 
how can the team, how can your org or your department set these new people up for success? Because you can't have the expectation that they're going to be awesome if your way of doing things is throwing people to the wolves. Like that's outdated. I think there's a really great opportunity to just make some people really successful, which will extract some really innovative products and ideas. Why not go that route? Why not set them up for success? So, yeah. Very cool. So looking back at your career and where you are today, if you could give your younger self advice, what would you tell yourself? I would tell, I guess, baby Denise that everything you're about to experience is going to be worth it, even if it feels really bad at the time. However, make sure you're always creating art on the side because that's what makes you feel good. And that's what keeps you going. And that's what uh, brings about new ideas and keeps your mind fresh. And then I would also tell her to travel as much as you can and don't be afraid to travel alone because those are the experiences that enrich not only your eye for seeing things that you don't see every day, but for engaging with people that you probably never would if you didn't go anywhere. So that's awesome. That's what I would tell her. That's, I think that's some pretty good advice. Considering where we are today in product design, getting to product design over the last five, 10 years was its own unique winding path. And someone wanting to get into product design today has a different set of challenges. What advice would you give to someone who who might be listening to this and saying like, man, I really want to be a product designer at the Weather Channel or another big company. I want to be like Denise. What advice would you give to someone starting out as to how to make the next step to get into product design? So there are two things that I would say to focus on. When I talk to people who are aspiring to jump into product design or UX, the first question that they have is, how good do I need to be at visual design? And I would say that is important because, of course, if you do want to work for a corporation and their products are going to be going out to millions of people, then your work does need to be polished. But I think what's more important is being a really good storyteller. So learning how to tell stories, but then also discovering early, if you can, what your superpower is. And this is something that I learned in graphic design school was take your superpower and lean into it, apply it to everything that you do. So for me, one of my superpowers is not only storytelling, but drawing with my hands right? So sketching on paper, sketching in my iPad, illustrating, how do you apply that to your daily tasks and your job to take things to the next level? And so I've been able to do that, add a little layer of something a little bit more whimsical in this technical world, which that plus storytelling takes it to a whole nother level. So I would say spend some time finding your superpower and learn to tell stories. Very cool. Very cool. So I I think I kind of know the answer to this, or I could guess. One of the things that I like to ask folks is, if you weren't in product design in UX, what would you be doing? So I might surprise you here, but because I always do fine art anyway, I might say fashion. 
I, I okay. would say that maybe fashion design. I sew a little bit, but I feel like that's all you need to know <laughs> if you can draw and get your point across. So I would say I would jump into the world of fashion. That seems really exciting to me. And it seems still like a design challenge that is right up my alley. That's cool. Yeah, it's still creative, still innovative and, and making things useful for people that they need. Yeah. And it's really cool to see when it's actually created, when it's made. I touched a little bit on that working with India. Her mom is her seamstress. And so we can literally be on the road and India will come up with an idea and I'm sketching it. And then her mom will make it that night. So I touched a little bit on that side of it. And I would love to dig deeper into that and fabric and textures and all of the cool things about fashion. So yeah, that's what I would do. Another thing I wanted to get your take on in the product design space is I think a lot of people talk about the idea of mentoring, finding a mentor and mentorship. Did you have anyone along your path that provided that mentor experience for you? I'm going to be honest. I don't really feel like I did. I feel like especially moving into the phase of UX, it was very new at the time. So there weren't many people that you could even reach out to as a mentor. And so during that time, I decided, especially since there was like so many obstacles that I was just having to figure out on my own, I decided that once we get to some sort of level of comfort, I will always be giving back in the way of mentorship. And with doing that, so people reaching out for a portfolio review or just a dinner chat or whatever, with doing that, I realized there's a lot more to mentorship. So today I look at it as a slew of relationship types. Not everybody needs to be a mentor or a mentee. Yes, that relationship exists, but there's also sponsorship. There's also industry peers. I think people really forget about that part. So finding your tribe, finding who your design friends are, I feel like is really important to not only compare what you're doing on a daily basis, what's fair, what are you experiencing at work and maybe how you could do things differently, even down to compensation. So I have a few female friends where we've been able to actually share what our salaries are with each other just to make sure that we're being paid fairly. So I think having peer industry friends, mentors, sponsors, mentees, All of it is important, whether it's a long lasting relationship or one conversation, those relationships are important. And I also feel like it brings down a lot of the pressure when you're networking because you're not networking just to find someone that you can learn from. You're networking with just people that you can relate to. And I think that that is something that will strengthen your design career. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like what you said about it being maybe just a conversation or a few chats here or there. Because in my mind, when I think of mentorship, you're asking for a really big commitment. And that kind of freaks people out sometimes, right? How do you even ask yeah. if, if someone will be your mentor? What does that even mean? What does this entail? But there's a, just a really cool opportunity at the point where we are in tech and life where you can reach out to people and say, hey, what do you think of this? Or I reached out to you and I was like, hey, you want to come on this podcast? We can connect with people, with peers and 
have these little pockets of interaction that help build our skill sets, build our relationships, our empathy, all of that. I think people are afraid to reach out. And I think one of the big takeaways is just not everyone's going to respond to you, but the design community as a whole is really welcoming. And if they can't help you, they'll probably point you in the right direction of someone who can. Yeah. Right now, well, always really, there are a ton of people who are looking for mentors. It feels very saturated to the point where it can feel overwhelming if someone asks you that. And a lot of people feel like it needs to be this formal process of like, hi, my name is so-and-so. I've researched you. And I think that you need to be my mentor because of this and that. And I looked at your portfolio and I heard that you were on this podcast and look at my portfolio and help me. And what do I need to do? That can feel very overwhelming, but I think spending some time figuring out what type of relationship it needs to be can be very helpful because I'll be honest, I probably have around five people weekly ask me to either look at a portfolio or if I can be their mentor or something wow. like that. And it's impossible. Right. That's impossible. And if it kind of feels bad when you can't help everyone, especially when you really want to. Right. And so I think there's something to introducing the conversation as I'm not sure if this should be a mentor mentee relationship, but I would love to get your insight on design. That way it takes a little bit of the pressure off and it just feels like a casual conversation, which I think more people should do. Absolutely. That's really cool. You obviously are an inspiration to many. You're doing great work. And I think this is a great way to tie up this podcast. Denise, thank you so much for being on and sharing your journey, your insight and your wisdom. I know you're going to be an inspiration to many of the listeners. And thank you again for being on. Seth, this was such a great conversation. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the platform. And I also appreciate just getting to talk for a little bit. It feels a little bit like therapy. So thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Denise. Thanks. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today on the Product Design Podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure and go follow our guests. Let them know they did a great job and you learned a lot. Um, more to come in the following weeks as we bring on new guests. Please hit that subscribe button so that you will get these podcasts uh, and learn a ton about the product design community. Excited to see you next time. Thanks.